All right, today we continue our sermon series in Judges looking at Deborah. That, we're going to spend the next couple weeks looking at Deborah. Today we're going to see she's a prophetess and she's a judge. We'll talk about what those are. Next week we're going to see she, she writes songs, so she does a lot. Uh, she's used by God to do a lot of things. And so uh, we'll be in Judges chapter 4. Uh, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Uh, if you're a guest, thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Al. I'm one of the pastors here. And so we're going to continue... Uh, preaching through this great book of the Bible of Judges. It's going to take like 23, 24 weeks, I think, to finish it. And so uh, as I've studied it more and more, you know, uh, preparing for uh, this sermon, I'm like, we could do, we could do, we could get into the weeds. And so um, this is why we wrote a study guide for you. You can, you can pick that up in the back. We have a free PDF for you if you want that. But uh, so there's more to discuss than, than, than we get to in each sermon. This is why we created the study guide. This is why we have community groups, discipleship groups to continue to talk, to discuss, to unpack all that God is doing here in the text. But uh, as we begin, the first thing I want us to see is uh, that we see God's people doing evil in the sight of the Lord again. This is like the refrain of judges. Every single Sunday, almost every single sermon, we'll start off with, and Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And some of you may get exhausted from hearing that. You're like, by the end of the series, I hope we all are. We're just exhausted of hearing, like, why do they keep doing evil in the sight of the Lord? And hopefully, by God's grace, like, we get so exhausted of it, like, we actually want to do something. Like, we don't want to be a part of the, the generation that continues to do what's evil in the sight of the Lord. We're finally fed up, or like, we've had 24 weeks of doing evil evil in the sight of the Lord. Let's start obeying him. Like, that's my prayer. So if you feel uh, exhausted by and fed up by the fact that God's people continue to uh, uh, do evil in the sight of the Lord, just know that we're still doing that in our day. Get fed up with uh, evil and like, let's pursue righteousness. Amen. Uh, so chapter four, verse one, and the people of Israel, these are God's people, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. We looked at Ehud last week. He was a, a judge. God raised up, military leader. Uh, they had a great victory. Victory. And then after the great victory in the time of peace, uh, God's people turned back to darkness. They, they, there was a little bit of a revival. They started to come back to the Lord. And then we see that uh, uh, after Ehud, the leader dies. It's what we see after the leader dies, God's people turn back. So they only are like, hey, when, the, when there's a good leader, they're following the good God. When there's a bad leader, uh, and then when the leader dies, they end up following in the ways of the culture. And so in verse 2, the Lord, so the result is the Lord sold them into the hand of, of Jabin, king of Canaan, who, was, who, who, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera. So we're going we're gonna to hear about Sisera, but he works under Jabin. Jabin's the king who lived in Harosheth Hagoim. That's how you say it. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. And he had 900 chariots of iron. That's pretty cool. And he oppressed the people, which is not cool, of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So here's the pattern. Things are going bad. God's people cry out to God. Hey, things are going bad. My life is a mess. Things are a wreck. They, uh, they turn back to God. They turn back to God. And then when God shows up, he intervenes and things start going good. They forsake God. You haven't met anyone, maybe that's you from time to time, you've been like, okay, when things are bad, I'm praying. When things are good, I don't pray. When things are bad, I run to God. When things are not bad, hmm, I believe he exists. I, I, would, I would, you know, confess that I'm a Christian, but, you know, I really don't worship him. I don't really run to him. I kind of find myself in this pattern that, that uh, when things are bad, I run to God. And this is what we see happening in Judges is this is their pattern. When things are bad, they run to God. When things are good, they forsake God. And so the issue is not good things or bad things. The issue is worshiping God. We should worship God in good days and in bad days. Now, if you're the kind of person that only runs to God when, when things are bad, I'm not saying don't. I'm just saying also keep worshiping him in the good days. So what I'm not saying is like uh, if things are going awful, turn to, don't turn to God. No, if things are going awful, absolutely turn to the God of the Bible, always. But when things are going great, you should worship him as well. And that's what we're going to see with Deborah when uh, after the great victory, she sings, she starts writing songs, uh, it, it, it remembering and commemorating this, the great acts and mercy of God. What we find is that God's people will be seen in Judges. They continue to forget God's ways. And so one of the ways that you remember God's ways is singing songs about God's promises and what he has done and what he's accomplished. And that's what Deborah will do for God's people uh, preceding this chapter. 
And so if you're in this pattern, what you need, if, you only, if you're in the pattern where you only turn to God in, good, or in, in seasons of, of, of drought, seasons of discouragement, when things are just awful, if that's the only season you turn to the Lord God in, you need divine intervention. That's what you need. You don't need some self-help sermon. You don't need some encouragement. You need God to intervene, just like Israel needs God to show up and intervene in a mighty way and change the trajectory in the course of your life. See, you were not made uh, to worship, but you were made by God worshiping. You cannot, none of us in here can help but to worship. It's, it's, our, it's the automatic response of a human being. The question is not, do you worship? The question is, who you worship? See, God's people, when, when things are going bad, they turn to God. Oh, I'm going to worship you, God. You're the one true and living God. But when things start going good and they're not being oppressed and there's peace in their nation and in their day, they're like... The gods of the nations are kind of cool too. So the, the issue is not, who, are they monotheistic? The issue is not, do they, if you were to ask them, do you say you're a Christian? The issue is not, do you believe in God? The question is, do you worship God? That's the question. That's the question. And so you cannot control that, the fact that you worship. You can't control who you worship. And so when they're doing evil in the sight of the Lord, again, what it, what it means is they've turned from worshiping the one true and living God to worshiping other gods, the gods of the Canaanite culture. And so what God did, he, he, he sold them into the hands of, of the king Jabin of Canaan. We see that, that, that this, this army, this Canaanite army, had a, a leader named Sisera, and he had 900 chariots. This is like the modern day, this would be equivalent to uh, uh, like, you know, like a... Um, military tanks in, in their day. Like they, they, had, they had these chariots that were more maneuverable, quicker, swifter than, than just human foot. And so these guys, 900 chariots, they had a pretty strong army. And what they did was they cruelly, it says, oppressed God's people for two decades, for 20 years, for 20 years. And then God raises up Deborah. Now in verse four, now Deborah, a prophetess, at the wife of Lip, Lipid, Lapidoth, Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. So during these 20 years, they're being oppressed. They do have a judge. Her name is Deborah. I want you to see this. It's not saying that after 20 years, God rose up Deborah. It was, it was during this time, during this time of oppression, during the, the, the leadership of Jabin, king of Canaan, during the, the, the military rule of the 900 chariots done by, led by Sisera, uh, there was a judge and a prophetess named Deborah. And she sat under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel. And this is, that's her office. That's where she sets up, under the palm tree. That's her office. A public servant, public office, you know, on the, ro- on the road to uh, Bethel from Ramah. And in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summons Barak. This is the military commanding officer. This is the lead military leader of Israel, the son of uh, Abinoam from uh, Kedesh Nephtali, and said to him, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded you? And, and before we get into what she tells him, let's camp out here for a moment and let me explain some things. Deborah is both a prophetess and a judge. Next week, we're going to see that she's a songwriter. Um, and so what is a prophetess? So some people, you know, they ask, what is a prophetess? Well, it's a female prophet. That's what the S ESS means, you know, at the end of the word, like, you know, you think princess, you know, it's a you know, prince, princess, you have a prophet, prophetess. You're like, are those real? Yes. It says it right there. Uh, she was a prophetess. And there's, there's one of actually four prophetess in, in the Old Testament. So she's one of four. There's actually five, but one of them was a false prophetess. So, you know, that's not, you don't, we don't like that. Don't be that. Uh, but she was both the prophetess and a judge. And so this word prophetess and this role prophetess gets a, um, gets a lot of debate in, in, in Christian circles. And so I'm going to try to be clear and not camp out too much on this point, but I want to make a few points uh, along, along the lines of what this is, what is she doing, what is this term prophetess, and if you have any more questions, we can talk after. But um, we talked back in, our, in 1 Corinthians, when we were studying 1 Corinthians, we looked at the gifts of the, the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts being prophecy. So we talked about prophecy in its entirety from the Old Testament and the New Testament in 
that we talked about in the Old Testament, oftentimes uh, a prophet would tell the perfect word of God. See, the Bible had not been written, uh, the canon had not been closed, and so God uh, would raise up a prophet to tell God's people his word directly, directly from God perfect word of God. We believe that that has ceased with the closing of the canon, um, which, but this, was, this type of prophet, this role was common in the Old Testament. Um, but another way to, to say this, uh, because this is not necessarily what Deborah's doing. She's not a prophetess in this sense. So she has the gift of prophecy, but it's not in the sense of uh, the majority of the Old Testament prophets. Her, her role is more uh, of a prophetess here is to bring God's word to bear for a particular moment for God's people. This is, the, this is very like, uh, similar to the, the modern gift or what we talked about in, in the, the book of 1 Corinthians, the gift of prophecy. It's the applying God's word to a particular time and place. So this is what she's doing. She's sitting under the tree uh, of Deborah. She's using her spiritual gift of prophe- prophecy uh, to judge, uh, deliberate between God's people. That's what she's doing. That's what she's doing. She's not sitting here going, uh, she's not like Isaiah necessarily or other uh, major prophets in the Bible where, where she has whole books of the Bible written her, to, pro, to prophecy about what God has declared God's people to do. But she does get a word from God, and, and, and this military leader, Barak, does know what God has said, and so she's going to remind him of what God has said. So this is, this is, uh, this is Deborah. She has the gift, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, prophecy. And I want you to see this. Both men and women, we said this throughout uh, our study in 1 Corinthians, get the gifts. There's the, whole, the gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't just like some men get uh, gifts, certain gifts go to men, certain gifts go to, go to women. Um, it, that's not what it happens. God, the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he will to whom he wills. Um, so that's, that's what prophecy is, and that's what she's doing. She's deliberating between, uh, uh, she's bringing God's word of bear to God's people for a particular time and purpose. Uh, the second thing, she's a judge. So the book of Judges, uh, typically, we, when you hear the word judge, especially in America, you think of someone presiding over a courtroom. In the book of Judges, that's not primarily the role of a judge. Usually, in the book of Judges, God raises up someone to lead God's people, number one, to repentance. So that's what we see, and in, 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 she'll do that. But the second thing we typically see throughout the book of Judges is that uh, they would not just lead God, God's people back to right worship, but that also the judge would be a military leader and commander, uh, and, and, except for Deborah. She's not a military leader. She's not, she does not step out on the battlefield, and she does not enter into the, the fight physically. So the, the, her role as a judge may be more, more like one who deliberates in a courtroom. And so it's not, her role as a judge is not as common through the rest of the judges in the entire book of Judges, those who have come and those who will come after her. And so her, her role is a little bit different. She has this gift of prophecy, uh, meaning that she's bringing God's word to bear uh, to God's people. Uh, for this particular time, they're in captivity. Well, they're in, they're oppressed by the Canaanites. And so uh, God's people are looking for leadership and they're looking for direction according to his word, will, and ways. And she's deliberating and helping um, God. God's people discern those things. And so there's two ways we can look at uh, Deborah's role at this, as this prophetess judge and how it functions. The first one is like a biblical counselor. Don't you think of her like a biblical counselor? So she, 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 her gifts are, uh, she knows God's word. She knows how to apply God's word. She knows how to use God's word. That's what biblical counseling is. It's saying, hey, this is what God's word says. Let me help you apply it to your particular life, to your circumstance. Let me give you counsel on God's word. And so uh, this is a gift that she has, and she's able to use it in, in, her, um, in, in her job. And she sits under the palm of Deborah at her office. That, she has an office space. She said she's a public servant. She, she has an office. People come. It's open. It's, it's literally, they, she has a whole palm tree named after her. Like her, if she was going to have a desk, have her name pla- on a plaque, like she has a palm tree. And they were know that's Deborah's palm tree, and that's where she goes to work. So when Deborah's there, she's at her job, and we see Deborah there, and we ask some questions about the Bible. We got questions about, like, what are we doing in this oppressive empire for, the, for 20 years? We're going to go to Deborah. And so she's giving counsel according to God's word, his will, and his ways. And so God's people under this great oppression, just imagine, like, they, they have a lot of confusion, God loves us. He was supposed to give us this land. Now we're captive again. Remember Ehud? That guy died. And why did we go crazy after he died, Deborah? Like, can you tell us, like, we were walking with God, and then all of a sudden this dude dies, and we don't really walk with him anymore. And she's just like, yeah, because you don't really love him. They're like, really? I didn't know that. And so she's counseling them according to God's word. And so uh, there's, additionally, some people may be coming to her because they're looking around going, hey, my mom, my brother, my sister, like, everyone has left the faith. Deborah, is like, God real? 
something may be asking real questions is like, should, should we, you know, go to Baal and Ashtaroth or is like, you know, Yahweh's still the guy? And so she's sitting, and furthermore, they have issues with one another, like, hey, what's right, what's wrong? So they come to Deborah, and she's deliberating between parties, going, no, that's right, that's wrong, that's good, that's bad. She's making judgment calls on things in their culture and in their day according to God's word. So I want you to see, think about it this way. She's calling out the, the, the issues in the culture. We've talked about it at length up to this point in our study in, in, in Judges. This culture was much more like our culture than it has been any other culture in, in human history. They were confused. They were uh, apostate. They were, uh, they were uh, you know, sexually deviant. They were uh, gender deviant. They were all the stuff we find in our day and age we've been talking about. Like, those are the issues of their culture. So just like many of you have questions, you're like, I'll just YouTube this. I will just uh, uh, Google this. She was the, the Google. That's the, she was the Google for God's people. That was Deborah. It's a, quote me on that. That's the, she's the Google for God's people. It's not my notes, but just thought of that one. That's who she is. And so God's people would turn to her, and she would try to help to, to, to turn God's people back to him, to follow him in his word, will, and ways. And so we need like people like Deborah. We need people like Deborah to just call things how they are, like deliberate between right and wrong. That's right, that's wrong. That makes sense. That doesn't make sense. That's, uh, that's not just the preacher's job, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's, it's the, the Christian's job in the sphere that you were in is to be able to know truth and error and then say, no, that's true. That's not true. Like If there's ever been a day in your life to like double down on like calling, calling it for what it is, now's the time. Like now's the time. See, she could handle these disputes. She could counsel individuals. She could say, that's sin. That's demonic. That's right. That's wrong. That's a boy. That's a girl. Like she knew these things. And she, she, she was like, you know, castration, that's not health care. She could say it and not be afraid to be offended, even though it would offend everyone in her culture. Uh, she would say abortion is not a woman's right. Uh, uh, neither is it a right for anyone to murder anyone. Sex outside of marriage is a sin. Stop living with your girlfriend. Move out of the house. Get a job. She would just call it like it is. If there's ever a day where God's people in the civil sphere need to just stand up and just call it like it is, is now. So we all can learn from Deborah. And so you're thinking that a biblical counselor has to be this person who's sitting in some, you know, you know stuffy office that only comes together when, when married couples have issues. Well, look at our culture. Everyone's got an issue. No one knows straight, uh, the straight path. Everyone's confused. Everyone's doing what we hear in Judges, what is right in their own eyes. There's confusion in our day. We need God's people to stand up and call it like it is. Without compromise. Without being a jerk either. Just be clear. Be clear. Secondly, we see that Deborah functioned not just in this, this council position publicly, but she was also in the, in the civil sphere. She was a civil leader. Like This was the open public office that she had, meaning uh, the, the place in which she did her job. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, she had a, a, a public um, prophetess. wasn't like a role of the city. Uh, and so she, she judged different cases. So this could be similar to that of, of someone being in uh, being a judge, an actual judge in a courtroom, or in a, uh, a politician, or someone who's who's legislating policies in a nation. And so she's a, she's in those meetings. She's at that table. And, and may I remind you that the culture around her is not Christian. Remember, it's Canaanite. 20 years, God's people are being oppressed. So Christians standing up for what is right are being oppressed. So she's not, this is not a popular thing for her. She's not going, well, now everyone believes what I believe, so now I get to like finally grab a hold of my office. I can campaign because, you know, I got, the, I got the majority vote. She is just being used by God in, the, in this time and season God has her. She's standing up to uh, the opportunity and just speaking what is true. Okay, and so here's where some more debate comes in with her. Some will use this, this as an opportunity to see Deborah as a case study for, for women in senior leadership in the church. And I use that term senior leadership because uh, we have everyone in here comes from likely different denominations. Different denominations use different titles for uh, senior leadership in church. But I want to say on that is that her role is, not, uh, is, is in the civil sphere. It's not in the military. So what I mean civil, it's distinct. It's not military or ecclesiastical, meaning it's not church and it's not military. It's, she's a public servant. 
She's not, so that her role is, is not, has nothing to do with church, has nothing to do with God's, uh, 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 you know, Old Testament church at all. Her, the, the power of her word is the same power you and I have to herald the truth of God's word as it's been revealed prophetically to people in moments in time. This isn't, the, the, her, her role is a civil, a civil servant. Number two, um, the highest ranking office uh, of authority in, in God's Old Testament church uh, would be the priesthood. So if God wanted her to be in the highest ranking office, she would become a priest. She's not. She's not there's no priestesses. She's a, she's a prophetess, though. And so the priesthood is akin to the New Testament eldership. So the eldership and the New Testament and the priesthood in the Old Testament uh, are male-only offices. Oh, sorry, I should say it this way, qualified male-only offices. This doesn't mean any man could be a priest. It doesn't mean any man can be an elder. It's only certain qualified called men. So see, Deborah is a prophetess, but she's not a priest. So she, she, is play, she does have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and she is being used by God in the public sphere. Some will say, one more thing on this, is some will then say Deborah is being used by God, so God is using a woman, and as crazy as that is, is God is using a woman because all the men are lazy and passive. Perhaps they are. I'm just going to say, perhaps they were. But that, we have, the scriptures do not indicate that that is why God has called her. She simply says, this is what she's doing. She's doing, this is how God has wired her, and she's not functioning in any office that, that, that is different than how God has used men or women um, in the scriptures proceeding forward. So Deborah is a woman who loves God, amen? Like women, you should love God. You should love him. Uh, she loves God's word. Ladies, love God's word. Uh, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. Ladies, you should be filled with the Holy Spirit. She's a leader. She leads. You should lead. You're like, well, who do I lead? Well, she doesn't lead uh, autonomously. She's not a feminist. She is in authority under her husband. We're told of his name. It's a weird name, right? Lapoth, Lapoth, whatever. Lapidoth. You know, that's why, he, you know, maybe, yeah. Lapidoth, you know, not a cool name, but he was a godly dude. Not a pushover man. He had a godly wife. And so she used her gifts that God had given her. And I want you to see that she doesn't overstep God's design. Many people will look at Deborah and want to, to uh, women in our day to overstep God's design. How does she not overstep God's design? She does so by not going to battle. See, it's been 20 years of oppression. And she's now reminding Barak, hey, bro, 20 years have gone by. We still captive. When are you going to step up? And so some of us get this way, and you'll go, well, if man's not doing it, a woman's going to rise up and just take, take, the, take the charge. She doesn't do that. Like, how many years has got to go by? She just keeps calling him back to what God has says. She doesn't go into battle. And this is very important for us to see because there's 20 years that have gone by of God's people being oppressed, and she could have said, well, if you're not going to do it, step aside, I'll step up. And many people will read this and say that that's what Deborah does. She doesn't. She does not overstep. She does not go into battle, but she does lead. See, the Bible is consistently clear that the combative roles are reserved to men. Men. Back in the days of Joshua, in, in I believe it's uh, Deuteronomy chapter 3, God commands God's people, the women and children, to stay home and the men to go to battle. That is how it is to be. God is consistently clear. Men are to protect women and children. You'll know our opinion about women on the front lines. We're opposed to that. We're opposed to that. Why? Because God is. Well, I know women who are in harm's way and they're doing really good. That's awesome. They probably are. But that's not God's design. What we do is we don't see Deborah overstepping God's design for her. But she does lead. And she holds Barak, the military leader's feet to the fire. So we see in, in verse 6, she tells him, Has the Lord, not the God of Israel, commanded you? She's looking at him between the eyes, face to face, the leader of the military, of God's people, and saying, Do your job. Do your job. How many more years are we going to have to wait? 20, 30, 40, 50, however many years it takes. I'm going to keep telling you to do your job. Two decades. Two decades. 
Our day is full of soft Christians that get offended if anyone tells them things like Deborah says. She looks at, at Barak in between the eyes and says, has God not said? And she says, do your job. Like when you touch, this is what it means to command obedience with patience. She's patient, 20 years. So she's patient. She's not passive. But she looks at him and says, what did God say, Barak? What did he say? Do it. Do it. So let's look at this guy, Barak, that she tells, hey, do what God has said. His name means lightning. Kind of cool name. You know, lightning. I want a lightning. He's also the son of Abinadab, um, which means the father of pleasantness. So it's kind of interesting, a little pleasant. You have a hippie father with the lightning rod of, of a son. Uh, what's implied here is that Barak's family, um, they weren't warriors. They, they, he didn't come back. From, he's not in a background of war. And so uh, it's likely that, that this is why Barak is very timid. He's very timid. Uh, he doesn't want to go out to war because he's not been trained for war. Here's what I need us to see here, especially to the men. Sometimes we're, God has called us to something that we've not been trained for. Sometimes we've been called to something that our fathers didn't teach us to do. And we're insecure, we're scared, we're timid, and we know that we should step up, but we don't know how to. We're untrained, we're unequipped, we're not prepared. We don't come from the line and lineage of, of men who, who stood up to a challenge, but we come from a line of men who were cowards and, 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 and who, who, who did not stand up for truth, but cowered down and let you know, the false gods rule the world. Is that maybe your background? But you don't get your calling from your background. You get your calling from God. So what we see here is with Barak that he's, he's a little anxious. He's a little timid. He's, a little, uh, uh, he's, he's not ready to go to battle. And so, men, there may be things that God is calling you to that you have not been trained in. Your dad didn't teach you. And right now, you, you know that you need to lean into those things, but you feel very, very insecure, ill-equipped. And I'll tell you this, the defining moment for your masculinity is not your masculine, quote-unquote, masculine skills. It's your obedience to God. That's the first step in what it means to be a man. Agree with God and obey God. And so what we see is that though you may be insecure, God is with you. We're promised, all of us are promised, and even in our insecurities, that Jesus told us that if we're Christians, that he is with us always, even until, Jesus, until he returns. He is with us. And so here's what she tells him. Uh, Deborah tells Barak the battle plan that God has planned out for them. He says this in verse 6. Go, so as not God commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 of the people of Nephtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out, this is God, I, God will draw out Sisera and the general of Jabin's army, or the, Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you in the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give them into your hand. He's asking him the question, have I not commanded you? Have I not told you this? Have I, ha, ha, God has already told Brock, I'm going to give you victory. So some of you men, you're timid, you're scared. What does God's word say? Are you acquainted with the promises of God? Can you grab a hold of the promises of God and just step out in faith, trusting that God will do what he has said he will do? He needs you nearly, merely to obey in faith. See, this is what most of, for all of us, the Christian life is, just simply obeying in faith. Men and women, that's our job. Look at Jesus. What does he say? I agree with you. I'm scared, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out in faith. Most of the Christian life can be summed up in, in, in just here. Have faith and obedience. Brock said to her, "If uh, so, so this is what he's been commanded to do. These are the marching orders. God says, I will give these people into your hand when you obey. And then his faith here is challenged in verse 8. So uh, Deborah is reminding him of what God has said. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So this doesn't look good. The commanding leader of the army is looking at the prophetess who sits under the palm tree, who's not the military leader, refuses to step out of her bounds and become a military leader, and he's like, I don't know if I want to go. I'll go if you go. Like, this isn't like going to pick up groceries, guys. This isn't like, you know, this is like, hey, God has called you to go, you know, wage war, Barack. And she's like, yeah, well, maybe the, the, the woman who's not supposed to be in battle can come with me. And so what's, what's happening right here is his faith is being challenged, 
And, and, and I want you to see, is it not enough information that God has already given Barak where he says he will go with him, with you? God says, I will deliver Sisera into your hands. God is like, who's more powerful, the prophetess or the God who made you? I just want you to see this. He's so struck by fear and anxiety that he can't see logically and see things clearly. So Deborah's going to have to keep reminding him of what God has said. So, so she says, uh, in response to his request, she's, she says, uh, and she's, uh, he says, I will not go. And she uh, says she'll, she'll go out to battle with him, um, but, and you will lead, the Lord will lead you to victory, but God will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman, she says. And Deborah rose and went, went, went with Barak to Kadesh. See, Deborah says, that I'll surely go with you. But nevertheless, she says, on this road that we're walking down, it's not going to lead to your glory. The Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. And so Deborah, his, his, her response is, 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 is interesting. He doesn't say, yes, he'll go. He doesn't say, no, he won't go. He's just like, ah, if you go, I go. And she says, okay, that's fine. And she gives a prophecy. She informs him that she will go, but it's not going to reflect well on him. One commentator said, uh, fighting was, a men's, was men's business. Barak would ha- should have been willing to go at God's command to fulfill his manly responsibility, trusting the promises he had already been given. He should have already gone. And before we dog too much on Barak, what I want to say is here, some of you, are that's where you're at. You need, you need someone to give you a push. You need someone to hold your hand. You need someone to like, hey, I'll go with you to the battlefield. And that may be a great place to start, but it cannot, you have to mature from there, men. Like your mom can't show up to work with you every day. It's okay if she shows up to your first day of school. It's okay that she helps you when, when, when you're scared to get on the, 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 the baseball field. She, you're, when you're, when, you're, when you're, you're scared to, when you're trying to figure out, you know, how do I pursue a woman? Like your parents should get involved, men, and help you out with that. But eventually, some point in time, you got to leave your father and mother and cleave and hold on to your wife. You got to leave. You got to take responsibility. It's okay that Barack is scared. It's okay that he's fearful. It's okay that he's insecure. It's okay that he needs help. But he needs to start a maturing process. And what we've done in our nation is seen men like Barack and just coddled them until they're 35 and 40. We wonder why our world looks like the way it looks. See, we have one of two things that happen in our nation that we do no parenting and let men figure it out on their own and they become toxic. Or we, we, we coddle them for far too long and don't let them launch, extend their adolescence. So it's okay here that the prophetess, she's showing up, she's giving him a godly kick in the rear, I'll put it that way, in the rear, getting him out. But she makes a prophecy. She says, I'll surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road in which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell you into the hand of a woman. Now, immediately, if you don't know the whole story, all of you are like, it's Deborah. She's the woman. She's going to go to battle. She's going to claim victory. Tell you what, there's a twist. Let's keep going. It's not Deborah. Uh, Barak's victory. He does get victory. Verse 10. And Barak called out. So he finally does it. This is, we got to give him a, a, a applause here. Like he finally does it after 20 years. Like here we go. And uh, Barak called out to Zebulun and Nephtali and to Kadesh. And 10,000 men, they obey. They, 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 10,000 men, dormant, failed to launch, not rising to their calling, not defending their nation, not doing anything. But finally, when God's man obeys God's word, what do they do? The men rise up. This is what we need in our day and our age, men to, who, who love and trust the Lord Jesus to obey his commands and lead other men. What happens? They will follow. 10,000 men, 20 years of dormant oppression. They're, they're, God's been being dormant in, in active oppression by the enemy. These military trained leaders afraid to go to war. They just needed God's man to stand, step up in faith. And 10,000 men, they rose up. They went, uh, and then they're at his heels. They're ready to go. And Deborah right there with him. And now, he, now Heber, uh, the Kenite, um, <clears throat> had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, uh, the father-in-law of Moses. And he, he pitched his tent. If any of y'all have seen that video, 
y'all, y'all know I get a victory on that one. Um, sorry, you just, you, those who know, know. And they went as far as the oak of uh, Zah Anam, and which is near Kadesh. And when Sisera was told that Barak, the son of uh, Ab ben Noam, uh, had gone up to the Mount Tabor, Sisera called out to his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him uh, from Herosheth Hoth Oim uh, to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, up for this day, the Lord, so get up, get ready for battle. For this day, the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go before you? She's still a little timid. She's reminding him, I'm not getting out there on the battlefield, but you got to go. God is with you, Barak. Keep it up. So Barak went down to Mount, from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and all of his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And we see, and we're going to see next, next week when she sings the song that they also got smashed in the water too. They got crushed, kind of like the, the Red Sea. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army uh, to uh, uh, Harosheth Hagoim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Great victory. It's an exciting moment here. God has fulfilled his promise. Like, it just looks so easy. 900 chariots dealt with, done, drowned, killed, slaughtered. God didn't drag this out to multiple battles. See, God made good on his promise. He always does. He says, I'm going to hand them over to you. Just show up. Boom. Show up. Hand it over to him. God is the one who gave them this victory. See, Sisera had all these chariots of iron, but they're rendered useless. See, see, this nation looked great. This nation looked great. They were a great, powerful, armed force. And this is where, like, when we talk, and I'm going to give a little, I have to take a moment. I love America. I do. Our nation is a great nation. We are very strong in war. But here's the reality. I don't care how many chariots of iron you have, how big your military is, what bombs you have and what capabilities you have. When you forsake the God of the Bible, your military will be rendered useless. And this is where we're at in our age. Some of you take great comfort that you live in America and that we've, had, we've been a military power. Just like Sisera took great comfort in his military and his power. But they opposed the God of the Bible. Our nation has opposed the God of the Bible. Our government has opposed the God of the Bible. Our commanding officer, our chief leader in warfare, our president of the United States has forsaken the God of the Bible. Don't be surprised when we're destroyed. The only path forward for America is repentance. Well, we're really strong and we're really mighty, and I know, and I, I'm, I'm in the military. And I know. Sisera's chariots thought so too. They thought so. Rendered useless by a coward dude who was waiting 20 years to obey God. God will use anybody. But I want you to also see Christians, if you would rise up. Even if you're timid, scared, out of your mind, like Barak, step up in obedience to God's word. Obey. And watch the thousands follow in line. It's amazing. Who's the victor here? God. God is the victor. But the story's not over because Sisera gets away. He has victory. But like the prophecy says, he has no glory. Verse 17, but Sisera fled away. So everyone's done, but Sisera, the leader, he's, he's, he's off. Foot race. And he went to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, or the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. So what this is, is uh, the... There were some of God's people who made peace with the enemy. That's what is going on. And Jael is, one, is the wife of the, 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 the family who's made peace with, with the oppressor. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Don't be afraid. 
So he turned aside to her into her tent. And so he went to bed with her, essentially. That's where he was headed. And she uh, covered him with a rug. And she said, and he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. So she opened uh, a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand by the opening of the tent. If any man comes and ask if anyone is here, say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. And she went and softly spoke to him. It's kind of like he was feeling like he's getting seduced. This is, he's, he's getting ready for um, some fun is what he's thinking. What, what does she do? She drove a tent peg into the temple of his head. Like that's what she did until it went down to the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, so that's the woman. That's the woman. And Barak was pursuing Sisera. And Jael went out to meet him and said, Hey, come in, come, and I'll show you the man whom you're seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with a tent peg in his temple. And so on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder, harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. They have victory. But Brock has no glory. JL gets the glory. She's the, hu- she's the wife, her husband. They've been uh, in cahoots with the enemy. That's why, that's why Sisera shows up to their house. They're like, hey, we're, y'all, we're, we're friendly. And, and, and what she sees, what she realizes, JL realizes, is that she's on the wrong team. Like she's housing a fugitive. So in this moment, what we see is a, is a moment of repentance for her. She goes from, we've been, we've been thinking we're neutral and we're just going to get in, you know, cahoots with, with the enemy and our oppressor. We're just going to make good and make peace with them. She realizes that they're losing the war and it's going to come find out they're a traitor. They've been, they, they've been a, a trade, they're, they're traitors. So she switches back to team Jesus and she takes a tent peg through the head of, of their oppressor, Sisera. And she brings them out and so they, they have victory. JL wins the victory rather than uh, Barak. Barak does not defeat the, the, the military. It wasn't military leader versus military leader. There was no honor in this, this death. And so in doing so, Deborah's prophecy was fulfilled by Jael, not Deborah. So behind the scenes, what we see is this, prov- uh, this sovereign God wielding and working his plan. He said, I'm going to give you victory. And he gave them victory. But he, the victory should have been Barak's, but he's delayed his obedience. So God sold Sister into the hand of a woman, to Jael, not Barak. This is what we see here. This is what we see here. And so Sisera, he's shamed. How is he shamed? He got killed by a woman that he thought he was going to, you know, have relations with. Sitting there taking a nap, getting ready for a, a good night. Boom, tent peg in the head. That's what you get for being a sleazeball. Man, if you are that, that's what you deserve. Uh, uh, you know, I'm just saying that. If you're a father, you know that that's kind of the... You agree. Amen. Uh, Barak is shamed also because he has his honor taken away from him. He, uh, he couldn't slay Sisera man to man. It was taken away from him. He got victory, but no glory. What do you make of all this? We, we, have, we have Deborah, we have Barak, we have Jael. These are the three kind of heroes of the story. But really, uh, let, let's, let's, let's look at them in closing. Deborah's this wise, godly woman. Some of you, uh, you're godly, you're wise. Let me encourage you. Continue on that path. She's used her gifts in the context God has given her. Ladies and gentlemen, use your gifts, your time, your talent, and treasure in the context God has given you. Where you live, that's a sphere. Are you taking, uh, uh, are you a good steward of your, 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 where you live and those who live in the home with you? Are you a good steward here? Are you, are you, is your home living according to God's word, will, and ways? Where you work, where you work, are you gonna, are you gonna use the gifts God has given you to, to lead, love, and serve well at your job? to work well, to honor the Lord, to speak up when necessary. Where you play, where you hang out, your friends, do, are, are you, how are you? Are you, like, are you like Deborah, where you need to just continue to walk in the giftings that God has given you in your spheres and your domain? And particularly for those who, who, who do work in the public sphere, are you gonna be like, can, can you learn from Deborah and, and by the grace of God, by the power of the spirit of God, be like Deborah and not be a coward in your workplace? And not, not just cower to the culture around you, even when the culture around you is not favorable towards you. She did not shrink in fear, but she plowed moving forward in faith. 
This is the call of the Christian, to move forward in faith according to the gifts, the time, the talent, what God has given you to steward it well for his glory. Some of you are like Barak. You're scared, you're insecure, you're timid. And that's okay. It's okay if that's where you're there. First, confess that to the Lord. God, I'm scared. I'm timid. Maybe you've been delaying obedience for 20 years like he has. And today's the day that God wants to take that next step forward where you walk forward in faith. You're like Barak, but you need accountability. You need someone to light a fire under you. This is why we have community groups and discipleship groups. To not to be, you know, domineering anyway, but to help God's people follow Jesus. And then when sin comes up, we fight our sin together. He had a sin of cowardice and fear, shame, insecurity, whatever it was. He needed, he needed counsel, accountability around that. He needed, he needed the, his feet to be held to the fire, not to earn his righteousness, but because God has made him righteous and called him to, to obedience. That's what our community groups, this is what our discipleship groups are for. So if you need a, accountability, you find yourself stuck and you're like, I, I need God's people to help me move forward. As I mature, we have groups that we want to help walk with you through. Some of you, however, are like JL. Up to this point, you've cozied up to the culture. You're like, I have friends on both sides, and I'm, I'm playing, you know, Switzerland. I'm neutral in this whole thing. And uh, I'm not choosing sides, and, you know, the, the bad guys like me, the good guys like me. That's kind of where you're at. You're just, you're just going to stay neutral. Others of you are, 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 are and, but you're Christian, you're like, but I'm trying to stay neutral. Others of you are neutral, but you're not Christians at all. You're, you're, you're not hostile to Christians, but you're just like, I'm not really a Christian, so I'm just going to stay neutral. I want to have friends on both, both teams, and which, is, which is good and noble. The problem is, if you're like JL, what you've done is, is you kind of, you, now you're housing fugitives. You, you're actually working for the wrong team. You're actually legislating policies that are evil. That's what JL was doing. She has a repentant moment. Some of you today is that day. You need to repent. You don't need to drive a, 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 you know, a, you know, a spike into a man's head, but you do need to turn away from, from being in cahoots with the enemy and being neutral towards godlessness and evil. If that's you, you need to look around like J.L. looked around and go, we're about to lose the war. Like You're going to lose. If you're not on Team Jesus, you lose the war. Read the book. Like, it's, just, it's just very clear. Like You lose. Jesus' team is the only victors at the end of the day. Some of you need to be like JL and, and, and realize, like, man, I've been trying to play new, neutrality here, and really there's going to be a clear winner at the end of the day, and that's Team Jesus. I need to opt out and, just, and stop being afraid and just, just step forward and, and follow the true victor, the true king, the true Jesus. Some of you, that you need to do that today. Stop playing neutrality. Join Jesus fully. And here's the truth. There's no real good guys in this story. There, there really aren't. There's no good guys in the Bible. There is a good God, though, a good God who continues to, to make straight lines out of the messiness we, we find ourselves in. And, and, and it's true in this generation as well. There's, no, there's, not, there's, there's people, and there's a good God. God will raise up a, 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 you know, God has raised up a deliverer, Jesus Christ, to save us. This is, what we, this is the news we need to hear. The bad news is we can't save ourselves. We need help. We are living in the day of judges. We're doing what was right in our own sight. We cannot save ourselves. That's the bad news. The good news is, just like God raises up a deliverer here in Judges, and he does so over and over and over again, the, the New Testament tells us that there, is a, there was an appointed time that the final deliverer would come. His name was the Lord Jesus Christ. He has come. The, the, the final deliverer, the final savior, the, the only true savior, the judges and deliverers in this text are only shadows of the Lord Jesus and his coming. They're, they're pointing to the true king, the true deliverer. So we see in this chapter that God's promises, he promised, I'm going to deliver my people. And we see that he, his promises don't fail. Throughout the scriptures, dating all the way back to the beginning chapters of Genesis, God promised to deliver his people as well. He said, through the seed of the woman, there's going to come one, the savior of the world who will crush the serpent's head. That Satan himself give a lethal blow. Some of you need to hear that today. Be reminded of that today. The victory has been won. Sin has been defeated. Christ is risen. He is victorious. He's seated on the throne. He is coming back. He is going to make all things new. It is our job to, to, to bow in, in allegiance to Jesus Christ. He has won the war. That means the sin that 
you feel entangles you, the temptation that you, you see around you has been, there's been a decisive blow to its victory over you through the cross of Christ. Walk forward, Christian, in victory. Sin and death have been defeated. Christ's victory is your victory. We obtain access to this victory by faith, and faith alone, nothing else. Just look to Jesus. Trust Jesus. Give your sin to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Give your love to Jesus. Give your obedience to Jesus. Give everything to Jesus. And remember, you are not saved by anything that you bring to the table. The only thing you bring to the table is the sin that put Christ on the cross. He's dealt with it. Moreover, he is returning. I'll say this in closing. Anyone here today who isn't a Christian, who doesn't know, love, and trust Jesus, isn't worshiping Jesus, the God of the Bible, there is a day coming where he will return and he will lay waste to his enemies. If you don't know, love, and trust Jesus, today you need to know this, you're an enemy whom Jesus will lay waste to if he returns today. But for now, you have an opportunity. Not for now. Now I'm proceeding forward. You have an opportunity, like JL, to say, I'm going to join the victor, Jesus Christ. He will be my Savior. He will be my King. He will be my Lord. I will pledge allegiance to Him. He will forgive me of my sin, my past, my present, my future sin, my betrayal of Him, my joining the enemy, my, my, my rebellion in all shapes and form. He will wipe, wipe it away, crown me with His, his stamp and seal of sonship or daughtership, and forever be his. That's on the table for you. Let's, let's pray, and then we're going to respond. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your victory in our place for us. You've conquered sin, Satan, death, and the grave. You've offered forgiveness and salvation. While we continue to look at judges and we see people continuing to do what's right in their own sight, we recognize that we are a people that keep doing what's right in their own sight. We live in a nation that continues to rebel against you, the God of the Bible. I ask that you would give us the spirit of repentance as a nation to turn back to you, Jesus, to put our faith in you, Jesus, to put our hope and trust in you, Jesus, to rid ourselves of the things that you forbid and pursue righteousness, holiness, pursue you, Jesus. Would you do something in our midst, in our city, in our nation that we who are here today can bear witness to? I see a change in trajectory, not for our name's sake, but for yours, O Lord. We ask in Christ's name, amen.